Welcome to the Cut It Straight Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Nate Whitley. Cut It Straight is a podcast helping you pursue excellence in your preaching and ministry. In this episode, we continue our series, Seven, the Seven Deadly Sins of Ministry, where we look at the deadly sin of pride. I hope you enjoy Welcome to the Cut It Straight Podcast, episode 29. I'm your host, Pastor Nate Whitley. We began a new series in episode 27 entitled Seven, The Seven Deadly Sins of Ministry. Well, today we're going to look at the sin of pride. Let's read Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The first deadly sin that we're going to cover is pride. I'm of the persuasion that pride is the root sin of all other sins. Every other deadly sin can be traced back to pride. Pride seeks to put itself above God. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, called pride the great sin. He goes on to say, and I quote, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice, end quote. In another place, Lewis defines pride as spiritual cancer. The Bible defines pride in a few different ways. In Proverbs 16 and 18, pride referenced here means exaltation or arrogance. A clear definition is unreasonable and inordinate self-esteem. Pride is easier to recognize than to define, and it's easier to diagnose pride in others than it is in ourselves. The Baker Bible Encyclopedia clarifies uh, the definition of pride from the Old Testament and New Testament, so I'm going to read their definition at length here. So I quote, A reasonable or justifiable self-respect or improper and excessive self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. The Apostle Paul expresses a positive kind of pride when speaking of confidence in Christians in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, or of strength in the Lord, 2 Corinthians 12 and 5 and 9. However, it's the latter sinful meaning of pride, which most frequently appears in the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The ten Hebrew and two Greek words generally used for pride refer to being high or exalted in attitude the opposite of the virtue of humility, which is so often praised and rewarded by God. One other Greek word refers to a person's being puffed up or inflated with pride or egotism. The idea is that one gives the impression of substance, but is really only filled with air. And you can see 1 Corinthians 5 and 2, 8 and 1, 13 and 4 in Colossians 2 and 18, end quote. It's a great uh, a great definition of pride from the Baker Bible Encyclopedia. Now, pride is nothing more than rebellion against God because it attributes to oneself honor and glory that is due to God alone. Honor and glory are to only be given to God. Pride seeks to put itself above God. Isaiah 42 and 8, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not share his glory with idols, 
and he will definitely not share his glory with the humans that he has created. Attempting to give ourselves the glory that is only due to God alone will only lead to our destruction. As we read in Proverbs 16 and 18, pride goes before destruction. The word destruction in the Hebrew used here means the termination of something by causing so much damage, causing so much damage to it that it cannot be repaired or no longer exists. That's what pride does. It causes so much damage that it can no longer be repaired or perhaps it no longer exists. Then he, cons- he continues and says, in a haughty spirit before a fall. A haughty spirit means unreasonable and inordinate self-esteem. In other words, this is just another form of pride. This undue confidence in one's own skills, accomplishments, positions, and possessions leads to a fall. Defining fall here in the Hebrew means a sudden decline or in strength or number or importance. In other words, pride and a haughty spirit will either lead to a calamity or to destruction. Scripture reveals uh, several usages and forms of pride. Each will yield its own insight for how God views pride. Considering that we are studying the seven, the seven deadly sins of ministry, it's necessary to see how this affects us as men of God, as preachers, as young ministers, as pastors, or uh, wherever we are serving in the ministry in God's kingdom. Because pride can infect us just as much as it can affect anybody else. Going back to our last lesson, our last episode in the seven deadly sins of ministry, we must realize that we are to take care of ourselves first and foremost spiritually before we can lead others. If we can't diagnose ourselves and find the right spiritual antidote to uh, help us mortify the deeds of the flesh, we cannot properly lead others to help them mortify the works of the flesh in their life. So we must first take a good diagnosis of ourselves, And that can't just happen once a year like a communion service or a Christmas service or an Easter service. Each day we have to be able to spiritually check up our, our hearts, our minds, our lives, make sure that we are healthy spiritually because pride can affect us just as much as it can affect anybody. And perhaps I am of the persuasion that pride affects preachers, ministers, more than it does anybody else And we're going to see that as we continue this study in the seven deadly sins. And we're looking at the deadly sin of pride. So first I want to look at boasting. 1 John 2 and 16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Bible commentator John MacArthur writes, The phrase has the idea of arrogance over one's circumstances, which produced haughtiness or exaggeration, parading what one possessed to impress other people. End quote. Notice the origin of the pride of life for all that is in the world. The pride of life does not come from God the Father. Rather, it comes from the world. St. John says earlier, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The pride of life, arrogance over one's circumstances, comes from the world. Now, James, the apostle, sheds light on such boasting. He says in James 4 and 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James is rebuking those who boast in tomorrow's anticipated successes. He says we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
James' usage of boast means to speak loudly or to display or proclaim publicly a satisfied contentment in one's abilities or accomplishments. Such boasting is rather common amongst preachers or men of God. They emphasize the I in their accomplishments. They seem to be the hero of their own sermons and illustrations. It's easy for this to slide into our conversations with other preachers. In an attempt to make sure everyone knows that we are accomplishing just as great of results as the next church or ministry, they want to include their own accomplishments and future plans. You're building a new building? It will seat 500? My new building will seat 600. Oh, you had someone healed of cancer? Well, I laid hands on a dead man and he was resurrected. You should have heard my sermon last Sunday. It was the best I've heard from myself since last week. These are not fictional statements, brothers and sisters who are listening to this. I've heard very similar talk amongst preachers uh, over the years. It's very common. Uh, we're always trying to one-up each other. We're wanting to make sure that everyone knows that we're doing more than anybody else, or perhaps God is blessing us more than he's blessing others. In reality, we're just boasting in our own supposed accomplishments or we're trying to make up ground for what we think is our where we are lacking and so pride takes over it spills over into our conversation it spills over into how we live how we talk how we interact with people and yet we'll try to bolster our own accomplishments we'll make ourselves the heroes of our sermons i preached a revival and 100 people got the Holy Ghost. You should have heard the great sermons that I preached. If it wasn't for me, this person wouldn't have been healed. If it wasn't for me doing this or doing that, then this could never have been accomplished. Well, that is boasting. That is arrogance. That is uh, something that we must try to mortify as men of God, as those who are in the ministry. Because if not, this will this will kill us. This will lead to our destruction, as we read earlier in Proverbs 16 and 18. Like James said, we are not to boast in this way. James calls it evil. Rather, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will build a new building for the glory of God. Or I'm thankful to hear of your great reports of revival, and if the Lord wills, he will do the same for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in your accomplishments. Don't boast in how eloquent you are when you preach. Don't boast in the great miracles that you think that you have accomplished. Don't boast in what you're doing in your local assembly. That is evil. That's what James says. Instead, we are to boast in the Lord. Look what the Lord has done. Thank God, for, because he could do it with or without us. You know, he could do any of this without us. He can find somebody else to do this. And so we can't take, we cannot take credit for what God is doing. We can't take credit for people being, we've never healed anybody. Now there are gifts of healing, but it is the Lord who gives the spirit. You've never healed anybody. You've never prophesied to anybody. It is the spirit of the Lord. And people who begin to claim that they're the ones doing the healing, they're the ones doing all this great work, they soon fall. Just look in history. Just look at the history of the, the latter rain movement where they began to claim their own, that they're, the, they're apostles. Uh, they're the ones doing the healing. They're the ones doing all these great works. Well, let me tell you, it's God who does it. And when we take God's glory, God's not going to have it. He's going to make sure that we fall, that we'll find destruction. If you just go read the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, uh, look what I've done here. Look what I've, look what I've built. Look at this. Look at these, all these great accomplishments. And he, he began 
begins to claim that he's done it and God brought him low. He made him a beast. You know, he, he changed his mind very quickly to realize God alone is worthy of the glory and the worship, not man. God's not going to give creatures whom he has created his glory. Now we are to reflect his glory, but we are not to take his glory. And when we try to claim accomplishments that only the spirit of God can do, we're in deep, deep trouble. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul understood what we, that we uh, we have to deal with matters of measuring ourselves. And he says, it's not wise. Those who try to measure themselves against others, uh, they try to say, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, or perhaps I am doing this and I'm going to do it better than uh, so-and-so down the road. This is not wise. Second Corinthians is really, if you go read Second Corinthians, it is a defense of Paul's ministry. Uh, there are those who would come in and try to uh, tear down Paul, which is pretty common even today. Um, you know, oh, look how look how weighty and how strong his letters are. But when he is in person, he's very weak. And so Paul, he is reluctant. He goes, I don't even want to boast here, but I've got a lot of room to boast. Uh, I've got a lot of accomplishments in my life that the Lord's done. But he reluctantly begins to boast. And he does it uh, in a flavor of, of, of satire when he does it. Uh, but he wants to make sure to understand that we're going to boast in the Lord. And what happens is <clears throat> Paul is so reluctant to do this. He's so reluctant to share his accomplishments with, uh, with the Corinthian church and to defend his ministry and his, 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 uh, his credentials for ministry that he begins to shed light on what he has accomplished, but he does it in a way to make sure that you see his weaknesses in it. Uh, he does it reluctantly. Instead of boasting in the fact that he's received mysteries that cannot be uttered, he instead boasts in his weaknesses. He says in 2 Corinthians uh, 11 and 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, you're not going to go to a preacher's conference and you're not going to hear preachers say, let me tell you how weak I am. Let me just tell you how frail and broken I am. No, they're going to say, how, how, how many are you running in your church? Well, I'm running a thousand or uh, I've been baptizing 500 people a week and they're not going to say I'm weak I'm broken I don't pray as much as I should I don't read my Bible as much as I should I'm not teaching Bible studies like I should you're not going to hear that you're not going to hear how weak they are how frail they are but that's what Paul did he even says when he begins to talk about uh, these great mysteries of going to the third heaven he says I know of a man uh, and, I, and I know of a, another man he's trying to say uh, somebody else has done this when in actuality and in, in reality it was him who had seen these things but he wanted to make sure that he He's not taking credit for it. And he says this. Uh, he goes on and says, uh, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, uh, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect. Not in your boasting. Uh, my, my, my power is not made perfect in your conceit. Uh, my power is not made perfect in your arrogance and your pride. No, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses why? So the power of Christ may rest upon me because Christ's power is not going to rest on the proud. He resists the proud. He resists the arrogant. He resists those who try to steal his glory. He resists those who try to take credit for where only God can get credit. 
because he only rests where those who can claim weakness. They know I can't do this without Christ. This is your word. This is your church. This is your anointing. This is your spirit. These are your people, and I am your servant. And Lord, you're going to get the glory for the results, not me. That's how we need to approach ministry, brothers and sisters. Not that he can't do this without me. Oh, yes, he can. And he'll find somebody who will boast in their weaknesses instead of their arrogance. So he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we looked at boasting. Now let's look at the next one and the next type of pride, and that is conceit. 1 Timothy 3 and 6 Paul writes, he must not be a recent convert, speaking of the uh, requirements of elders or overseers, or he may become puffed up with conceit and what? Fall into the condemnation of the devil. He goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6 and 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul uses the phrase puffed up with conceit in 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3 and 4, he refers to the last days that there will be those who will be swollen with conceit. The Greek definition means to be wrapped up in a puff of smoke or being puffed up with air. This pictures the preacher who inhales and exhales their own achievements and abilities. They want to be the center of the conversation. He's the big-headed preacher who believes his own reports of himself and those who laud it. He feeds on his own praise. Like a dog desiring a treat from his master, he's a man who constantly needs affirmation and praise. Now, this isn't just seen in preachers and ministers. All of humanity is susceptible to such conceit. You have probably worked with people, know people, family members, perhaps you or yourself, who could be described in this way. It's conceit. It's being stuck on yourself, going back to that wrapped up in a puff of smoke or to be being puffed up with air, meaning there's no substance there. They're not weighty. If you ever put a, put air into a balloon, it's very light. It's very light. But if you just poke it with a pin, it's going to deflate. And that's, that, that is those who are conceited. That is those who are stuck on themselves. They're very, there's, there's no substance there. And just one little prod, just one little poke, one little, one little rebuke, and they're, and they're deflated. They, there's nothing there. There's no substance there. There's no weight there. They're just puffed up in their own, their own praise, their own accomplishments, and who they are. Brian Hedges in his book, Hit List, Taking Aim at the Seven Deadly Sins, says pride displays itself in three ways. And I want to use that here. Self-promotion, self-pity, and self-righteousness. So we're going to look at self-promotion, self-pity, and self-righteousness. Self-promotion. Self-promotion is nothing more than boasting. Those who boast and promote themselves are nothing more than pompous windbags. The Corinthian church had no ground in boasting, and neither do we. If we are to boast... Again, we are to boast in the Lord. We didn't save ourselves. You didn't save yourself. I, I, I can't stand the phrase, I found religion, I found God, or I found Christ. No, you did not. First of all, you weren't looking for him. 
Christ found you. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We didn't save ourselves, brothers and sisters. And guess what? We don't keep ourselves saved either. Without the working of the Holy Spirit and without the written word of God, you cannot keep yourself saved. You can't do it. There's not enough works. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. You're saved by faith. You're not, listen, you didn't save yourself and you can't keep yourself saved. We need him in all aspects and We don't proclaim the good news about ourselves. We proclaim the good news or the gospel about Jesus Christ. And guess what? We don't heal and we don't save anyone either. Listen, there's an idea, there's a concept, and there's a deception to believe that if we preach the gospel and people receive it and uh, they stay in the church, they they, they become disciples, that that we're the ones who can take credit for it. No, sir. No, sir. No, ma'am. We can't take credit for that. And then if they leave, then we want to blame ourselves. Again, we didn't save them. We don't keep them saved. And we don't lose them. People make their own decisions. If you think that it rises and falls upon you, you are truly deceived. You must realize that we are to be workers and servants and we have a responsibility to lead and shepherd and guide people. But there are those who will constantly make their own decisions. There will be those who decide to leave the father's house, who will leave the sheepfold. There are those who will do it. They will hate you. They will despitefully use you and they'll walk away from the faith. You can't blame yourself. Now, if you've done something to offend, then repent. Uh, ask for forgiveness and try to reconcile that relationship. But listen, brothers and sisters, we're not people's saviors. We can't pretend to be their saviors. We can't keep them saved. All we can do is lead, guide, share the word of God, help them, disciple them, and hope and pray to God that they don't leave the truth. That's all we could do. So you're not, and so that's a form of pride. That's a form of pride. That's a savior complex. Uh, And this is an idea too. And please, I I am very, very, very familiar with this. I grew up with this. There are those who think if you don't come to my church, you're going to be lost somewhere else. Brother, that's pride. That is pride. We need to rebuke that spirit. Uh, Listen, this is not our church. It does not rise and fall upon our leadership or our personality. If someone wants to go somewhere else, let them go. Listen, we must realize that we are to be faithful and be committed to preaching and declaring God's word. If we're doing these things faithfully, people will stay, some will go. If they'll leave Christ, if they'll leave Paul, if they'll leave Peter, they're going to leave us. But listen, we cannot get up in our pulpits and tell people privately and counsel people and say, if you leave this church, you're going to go to hell. We can't say, brothers, that's pride. You're trying to take the place of Christ and he's not going to share his glory with another. The next form of pride is self-pity. And this is one that dresses itself up to look like humility, and it's nothing more than pride. How about this? It must be nice to have friends like that. It must be nice to be asked to preach at those churches and those events. Brothers, we shouldn't talk like that in ministry. This is nothing more than self-promotion. It's just in its negative form. It's guilting people into using you or to get compliments and accolades. Oh, man, I really didn't preach that good tonight, did I? Oh, you know, I I wish I could preach like so-and-so. Oh, man, I wish I could do it like that. Now, there's a difference in trying to, uh, you know, play it off and be funny and try to blow off on your weaknesses. I understand that. Uh, But it's another thing to try to guilt people into giving giving you compliments or trying to ask you to come preach. Oh, I'm just 
yeah, it must be nice to be asked to preach those types of places. And who do you, who do you know to uh, to get to uh, preach those types of places, brothers? This is not. This is pride. This is pride. This is the poor me attitude in ministry, and it's a vex to our spirit, and it's vexing to other people's spirit. Subtle insecurity or being around those you think who have more, who have more accomplishments. It appears to be needy, a need for attention and gratification. In reality, it's a wounded ego that wants to be seen as helpless and unrecognized. Brothers and sisters, there will always be others who have more, do more, accomplish more, have more success, and may be more popular. And if you're trying to build yourself up based upon your ministry and not upon your identity in Christ, then you will never crush that self-pity attitude. But if you know who you are in Christ, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that you are a fool for Christ's sake of the gospel, then you will never pity yourself. Rather, you will glory in the grace of God. God. Paul never said, oh, pity me. Oh, poor me. Oh, I can't believe I was shipwrecked. Oh, I can't believe I was I was beaten and forsaken. Oh, poor me. It must be nice to have people like, no, he didn't do that. And we shouldn't do that either. There's always going to be people who are more popular. There's going to be people who are more anointed. There'll be always be people who are more skilled, more talented. But brothers and sisters, be faithful in what you do and realize who you are in Christ is not based upon your performance. He does not say, well done, my good and faithful preacher. He does not say, well done, my good and faithful prophet or apostle. No, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're all servants. And there are those who are going to be more successful. There are those who are going to have more people, bigger churches, brothers. But if you'll just be faithful and committed doing what you're supposed to do and what you're called to do, then you'll always realize that I am in Christ, and that's where I find my identity. I'm not finding my identity on how many people I have in a revival. I'm not, I'm, I'm not finding my, uh, my identity in who's been healed of what sickness. No, your identity is in Christ as a son or as a daughter. And finally, the last form of pride, and there's several others as well we could go into, but the last one we'll look here on this episode is self-righteousness. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the sinner praying in the temple and the Pharisee looking on. Here we see pride taking the form of being holier than thou. Pride deceives us in believing that we are better than we really are. But it may not get much worse than when it lies to us, when pride lies to us telling us that we're holier than we really are. Lord, I thank God I'm not like that preacher down the road. I can't believe he would do that. Father... I'm so glad I'm not like these people, these reprobates that I have to pastor. God, just get rid of them and have more people like me around here. Brother, this, this is pride. The Pharisees are the prime example of this type of pride. Trying to puff up yourself with what your, your accomplishments and in your performance. He's not, God is not impressed with your performance. God is not impressed uh, with your attempts to be uh, holier than thou. He's not impressed with that because you're measuring yourself against somebody else. That's not wise. Try measuring your holiness and your righteousness, not to the preacher down the road, but to the God who is in heaven. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter number six, caught a glimpse of the glory of God, when the train of God filled the temple, what did Isaiah say? Woe is me. He didn't say, God, I thank you that you've made me like thus. Oh God, Father in heaven, I'm so glad you've made me perfect in all thy ways. 
No, he said, woe is me, a sinner. The, the train that filled the temple in Isaiah 6, those who have said that it's the accomplishments of the king, the king would have the accomplishments of all of his victories attached to this train. Well, the Lord's train filled the temple. Isaiah didn't see God's train fill the temple and then begin to look at his own accomplishments in his life. He didn't do that because it would fail immediately. We don't bring our accomplishments into the presence of God. We don't come into to prayer and say, God, look at these great sermons that I've preached. Look at these all these people I have in my Sunday school class. Lord, look at all these great accomplishments because it's so, it's so, so small and so minuscule compared to the eternal God who has done so many great things. Instead, we see what God has accomplished and we see how small and frail we are, how lonely and how sick we are. We see how, we, how, how, how weak we are. We are when we come into his presence and see him high and lifted up. Let me tell you something. We don't come into prayer. We don't come into God's presence trying to lift ourselves up. That's what the Pharisee did in Luke chapter number 18. He tried to, you know, to, to claim that he was this great holy person. God's not impressed with that. Instead, there was the, here was the, the sinner. Here was the publican going, oh God, woe is me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me. And brothers and sisters, we might be in ministry. We might be pastors for 40, 50, 60, 70 plus years. We might be evangelizing for the last 25 years. We might have been in ministry our entire lives. But you're still a sinner. You're still in need of God's grace. You need to realize that you're really nothing in the kingdom of God except Christ being in you and Him working through you. I want to end with this in this episode as we look at the seven deadly sins and we look at the, the, the deadly sin of pride. Pride was found in Satan. Ezekiel and Isaiah give a glimpse of the fall of Satan. He wanted to be lifted up. He wanted to be high. He wanted to be like God. God had none of it and kicked him out. When we get to Genesis chapter number three, the first question in all of history was, has God said? The subtle serpent looked at Eve and said, did God really say this? Yes, we're not to eat or touch of the tree. Oh, you're not going to die. God is keeping something from you. He knows that the day that you eat of it, you're going to become just like him. And what happened to Eve? She looked at the tree and seen that it was good for food and that it could make her wise. Pride is what brought Satan down and pride is what brought humanity down. The sin of pride will bring anyone down. When we begin to think that we're something when we're really nothing, destruction will come, calamity will come. When we're puffed up with our own accomplishments or possessions of who we are, Destruction will come, brothers. We must realize that we're not to fight or combat against pride with a false humility of poor me, pity me, it must be nice. No, instead we are to empty ourselves like Christ did. This is the mind of Christ, that he who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords emptied himself to become a servant. We must empty ourselves of our arrogance and our boasting and our conceit. We must realize that Without Christ, I'm nothing. Without His Spirit, I am nothing. Without His calling, I am nothing. Without His Word, I am nothing. These things that we do in the kingdom, I can't take credit for. Instead, I'm just the conduit. I'm the jar of clay. I'm just the thing that God uses to, 
to facilitate the miracle, to facilitate the gospel being shared with those to come to salvation. He alone is to give glory. He alone is to do to, to receive honor. He alone is to be worshipped and praised and lauded. Brothers, we must fight and kill this awful spirit of pride. We must begin to mortify the sin of pride in our hearts and our lives. Those of us who are in ministry, we're going to fight this harder than anyone else. And we must realize that without Christ, without God helping us, we'll not be able to overcome it. But it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by His Spirit that we can overcome this deadly sin called pride. Thanks for tuning in to the Cut It Straight podcast. For more information, episodes, and articles, go to my website, nswhitley.com. Follow me on Twitter at nswhitley, and be sure to go to my Facebook page, nswhitley.